now it's time for Nostalgia Town, where we speak with well-known older Australians about the journey they took that makes them the person they are today. You're listening to Baby Boomer's Guide to Life in the 21st Century, and we're visiting Nostalgia Town, and our town guide is singer Margaret Roadnight, for whom music has meant constant touring nationally and overseas and recording, 10 solo albums and contributions on about 523 other albums. <laughs> the longevity and breadth of her career is reflected in a lifetime, lifetime Achievement Awards from the National Folk Festival, the Australian Women in Music Awards, alongside first singer added to the Monsalvet Jazz Honour Roll and Artist of the Year at Port Ferry Folk Festival. Oh, God, this goes on, doesn't she? And none of these hint at Margaret's parallel path of presenting relevant social justice songs for various causes and rallies. Welcome, Margaret. It's a delight and it's been far too long. It's great to join you, even if it's just via whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, Margaret, just... Just to start off for me, the thing that I'm intrigued about, uh, you know, your career, I guess, is 60 years now, and you've sung thousands and thousands of songs, jazz, folk, blues, and everything in between, traditional songs and those by contemporary writers. I'm curious to know what attracts you to a song. Is it the feel of it? Is it the melody? Is it the lyrics? What, what when you hear a song? What makes you think I want to sing that? Well, first of all, I don't write my own, so I need to be out there listening to heaps of other people's um, creations. And thank you to all the songwriters in the world who present, you know, stuff in my repertoire. And uh, it's often a combination of, you know, it's all very well to have fantastic uh, lyrics if the the melody's no good. Um, can't really do it unless I can t- take the jazz approach and turn it into something else. But um, I was happy. If I have to land on one thing, it is lyrics, the content, you know. But um, usually it's a combination of something I can do with it, how I can put my own stamp on somebody else's composition and uh, make it relevant to the audience. I do it not only for myself, but for the audience. And, um, yeah, the um, melody. It helps to have a good melody or interesting melody, and it also has to be something that I can manage on my rather pedestrian guitar because the bottom line of my, my act, that was air quotes around that, was um, it's a have guitar will travel act. You know, what can one woman do with one voice and um, and one guitar and throw in the odd a cappella song maybe, possibly even a poem and, and a kazoo chorus on a jug band song. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Which um, might allude to the, the, the range of what it, the songs. It's um, Yes, it's true, jazz, blues, folk, etc. But it's basically, can I do it? And can I do justice to the song that I like enough to learn? And uh, will it make sense to the audience? You know, will it have a resonance for them? Margaret, it's Patricia here, Patricia Amflett. You are known, and <laughs> you're known as, um, and deservedly so, as one of Australia's finest interpretive singers, and yeah. uh, and you've become well known because of that. And I'm wondering how uh, a girl in Australia grew up. Uh, how did you manage to like 
what was called way back Negro music. We call it black (laughs) American music now. How did you discover that and which took you into the world of gospel, trips away? Where did that come from? Yeah, that's a mystery to me too because really, you know, my conservative Irish-Australian background, um, there's no reason why one would land on, uh, you know, far left jump, I suppose, to um, immerse yourself in African-American music in, in all all in all forms, yes, gospel and blues and everything from, you know, play party songs from the Caribbean I used to <laughs> to um, dabble with, you know, throw in somewhere. somewhere. But uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I think it was partly, you know, the sound of the music, but I also always would check on getting to the background, why were they singing that? And, of course, the, the story of, of um, you know, well, previously Africans landing in the, the new world and uh, having to come up with new forms of music and new collaborations and the crossover between European music and African music. It just uh, really worked for me. And um, so I, I was rather slack in presenting, you know, Australian music. It was really only when I started to go overseas that I made an effort to, to learn Australian songs to to present, you know, our stuff mm. out of the country. But otherwise, I'd, I'd probably still be stuck in everything mm. that harked that, uh, towards African-American, um, the range of the repertoire, because I was also interested in the, the background and the history. Of, and I'm still, I sing less and less of it nowadays. It can even be problematic that one, you know, this white Australian chooses to present as if having a bit of knowledge about these things, but it, it gets a bit tricky nowadays. But um, that's okay because, I mean, I'm at the age and stage where I'm tailoring off, you know, presentations and I don't need to work up um, whole programs on such things. But, yes, I did. I did whole workshops on the range of African-American music. <laughs> but back then, you know, for instance, I sang African songs. Well, nowadays... Um, we have so many African performers here in Australia, you know, but that was not the case when I started in the early 60s, you know. Where did you grow up, Margaret? Up Melbourne, and I'm back in Melbourne. <laughs> I um, was My first three decades of my life were based in Melbourne, and then I had oh, 21 years in Sydney and based in Sydney, and then I had 12 years based in Brisbane, and then uh, eight years back in Victoria, but in regional Victoria, East Gippsland area. And um, finally, about six years ago, I landed back in my hometown, which is fine by me because, you know, if you're going to be in a capital city in Australia, um, Melbourne's the one. Sorry, guys. And uh, also, um, it's, you know, well, before COVID <laughs> changed all that, but it was sort of live music capital of the world. Could claim to be that. And, uh, and one of my favourite things to do is to go out and hear other people. You know, I don't necessarily have to be doing it myself. I enjoy what other performers are doing. I like to check on venues and you know, it's it's my way of operating in the world, really. I mean, I wouldn't have done all that travel and met all these wonderful people and done all these great things if it hadn't been for music, let's face it. Mark, did you grow up in a musical household? Uh, not particularly. Um, 
there was no piano or anything like that. Um, I, I don't read music. I, I never did. Still can't really handle the dots. Um, no, just, oh, you know, school choir, church choir. Um, my mother was had a fantastic voice, you know, that's part of it. But um, And, you know, my sister, younger sister and I, we would end up being harmonising all the three of us together over the dishes sort of approach. But, no, there was no um, thought of, you know, this is, it was 78, 78 records on the radio, really. And um, we were, uh, we became poor. <laughs> we were the nouveau poor. <laughs> um, and so we didn't, um, you know, go to too many concerts or anything like that. But there was a particularly memorable one when uh, I was still at school, last year at school, and Paul Robeson toured Australia. Turned out to be his last performances ever. But, um, and my, my um, parents scraped up the money for my sister and I to go to the Melbourne Town Hall to catch him. And we didn't know anything about booking, but it turns out that um, it was all booked out. And I'm at the, the box office just at the time that somebody whispers in the ear of the woman selling the tickets that they're just about to add 30 seats to the stage. And would we mind sitting behind Paul oh. Robeson? So, so I'm truthfully able to say I have shared this stage with Paul Robeson. <laughs> <laughs> and was he magnificent? Of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, of course. Yes, but, you know. Remember it fondly and very memorable. Yeah. And uh, and subsequently, I did even whole shows on Paul Robeson. You know, the one time I was uh, given the job of being musical director, despite not reading the dots, was um, a show on Paul Robeson called Deep Bells Ring, which was just presented in Sydney. Uh, sorry. I was living in Sydney, but it was a, a Brisbane show. And uh, it was meant to be, you know, originally for two weeks run or something. and But it got such an amazing response, press-wise and audience-wise, that it was restaged around Australia pretty much over the next three years. And uh, then when came the anniversary of the um, birth of Robeson in 1998, um, I, I didn't... Re- we didn't restage that with five singers and two actors and the box and dice, but I decided to put together a two-hander show on Paul Robeson for um, a couple of years that was called Robeson Keeps Rolling Along. So, yes, uh, that was another sort of entree into the African-American repertoire and raison d'etre. Margaret, I'm imagining because you started – your career at such a young age that most of the friends you've kept or still are in contact with are musicians, other singers, would that be right? And do you, do you really yeah, keep in touch with them? I think so. I mean, um, obviously a lot of them dropped off and some of the in the early folk um, scare days where I emerged, um, it was possible to, to do it more or less as a hobby and, not that many of the early practitioners ended up making being able to sustain a career um, doing that. And there's only really a handful of us still that you would remember and nominate, you know, the Mike McClellans and Jeannie Lewis and uh, myself, Doug Ashdown, possibly, although I don't, I'm not sure he still performs. Um, but those names, you know, we're, we're still around. But um, let me see. Yes, I, I'm, I love to keep in touch with. Um, the people, important people like that, Phil Noble, Phil Vinnicum, as she was, 
um, from those days. But you know, as the years go by, <laughs> indeed, don't we know? Yes. Mark, do you remember the moment? Was it at the Paul Robeson concert, for instance? Do you remember the moment when you thought, "I'm, I would really like to make this my career." Oh, it's never uh, quite like that. It was. Um, I, I remember how it started, though. Um, yes, I, my first job. Um, somebody there noticed that I loved things like Mahali Jackson's songs or Harry Belafonte's Calypsos and and she knew of a, a concert series uh, Sunday afternoons at the Emerald Hill Theatre in South Melbourne um, like a folk concert you know and a whole heap of people would get up and do stuff and she said you should go along to this you know this concert and so I did she said oh I know the bass player who plays in a little jazz trio that opens these concerts and this jazz trio included Jerry Humphreys from The Loved Ones on clarinet. Um, anyway, I, so I, I was introduced to Glenn Tomasetti and a whole heap of uh, folk luminaries, as they turned out to be, Trevor Lucas and Martin Wyndham Reed, etc., and saw this parade of music, which I had no idea about. This is 1962, I'd say. Um and, uh, you know, chain gang songs and Chinese lullabies and bush music. And it was all on parade there. And I thought, oh, this is amazing. You know, there's a whole other world happening because it wasn't being played on radio or anything like that. And so I met the bass player and said, oh, this is amazing. I'd love to do this music. It was sort of a general comment, you know. And he said, oh, you know, do you, you play an instrument? I said, no. <laughs> and he said, well, I'll play for you. He hadn't even heard me. Anyway, so double bass voice. Eventually, I, I sat in Paul Marks, was doing another gig somewhere and said, oh, basically, I'd like a break. But he said, would anybody else like to sing? So I sang one song. I said, you'll have to accompany me. So he didn't get a break. And um, Glenn Thomas said he was sitting there and I noticed she was applauding and I was pleased about that because she was about the only female, you know, that was out there doing it. And um, anyway, the next the Next few months, another season at the Emerald Hill Theatre emerged and she was booking it. She saw me in the audience. She said, oh, I heard you sing. Would you like a, a gig? So um, that was how I made my debut. I did an audition. There I was. I just was landed it. And the bass player and I, we did learn three songs. And uh, in the, I had to do an encore. So that had to be a cappella. And this audience still stamped and cheered. So I had to, Glenn said, no, we'll get back, Margaret back for another you know, another Sunday. And so that's how I staggered into a career. And you got the bug. <laughs> you got the bug well and truly, and aren't we grateful that you did? Uh, well. Yeah. What do you do for fun these days, Margaret, as we're all 29 and years and some months <laughs> old? What do you do in your spare time that you really, really enjoy, apart from picking up the guitar and having a sing? Well, look, I don't tend to pick up the guitar and have a sing unless I've got a, a gig or a particular reason for doing it. I am um, teaching guitar to one one friend, um, and that, that's always fun, but I, I don't feel driven to do anything. I think the, my lifespan has coincided perfectly with, you know, the conditions under which one, for instance, performs. You know, nowadays I got, I got fussier and fussier as I got older, you know, and I'm not prepared to sit in the corner of a – a restaurant or a bar or whatever, and I'm not prepared to have, a, a, even if it's silent, a TV screen going behind me or, or I can hear the billiards 
being played in the next room, that sort of thing. Um, neither do I expect, you know, to be doing recitals and um, people overpaying to, to hear me. It's a, it's a funny sort of middle road that I'm trying to tread. But also people nowadays feel it's okay to sit there and be checking their emails while they're singing or filming you and, and posting without your permission. Yeah, oh, no, no, no. I, I'm just thinking. No, I don't need this, you know. I don't wish to be the temperamental diva, but this is not good enough. And uh, then along comes COVID and, and sort of solves half of that problem. You know, the, uh, needless to say, uh, offers uh, shrunk. And, and uh, in fact, because of the precariousness of it, I'm not really interested in, you know, keeping the voice up to scratch for the these um, maybe one-offs and all the, all the stuff involved because I don't have a band and and I don't drive and it be, I, I realise my default position is happily lazy. So. <laughs> <laughs> what a great description! Happily <laughs> lazy. I just love that. Margaret, can we? Go away from music for a moment. What were the other influences for you? Television, film, books? Where else did you get inspired? Oh, yeah, I love, um, I watched too, much too much television and I have stacks and stacks of DVDs. I like hard copies of everything. I have stacks and stacks still of LPs, you know, CDs, da da da. da. Um, I'm not really leaping into the digital age that well. Uh, and too many books on the shelves that I haven't even read. I, Obviously, acquired and thinking that looks good, and so um, it's helped me to. I'm not quite at the culling enough stage, but I've certainly stopped the acquiring. And uh, so I figure if I, you know, read one book a week uh, and play one album a day for the rest of my life, I might get through what I've already got in my small cottage. You know, taking up all the room in my cottage. So um, that's. Always in the back of my mind, oh, I should, you know, I must revisit this. I must, uh, oh, I never read that. That sort of thing's going on. And, um, uh, yeah, just kept keeping up with friends. And I'm still interested in the sad old political world. And, uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, I, I, I'm trying to, I'm going to ask you, Patricia, um, yeah. the, you did your, say, nightclub debut. Do you remember what year it was? Because you have to be a certain age, I think, to have uh, And I wasn't a certain age, which meant that I had to have police permission. <laughs> I had yeah, to have yeah. department, yeah. I had to well, have the department of whatever it was called, <laughs> children's department permission. My mother had to accompany me uh, until I was 18. All right, um, I'm going so to say, but I saw you in 1965 because I spent about a year in Sydney in 1965, and we went along to see you in a nightclub, and I think you were under, basically underage and had to have special permission. I was. I, I would have been 15 or 16 at the time. Mum would have been yeah, in, the, in, in the back room, you know, waiting for me. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I love well, it when go. I hear those stories, you know, that were all wild gals that had parties. I had police protection <laughs> at some stage, you know. It was ridiculous. But um, And I was well, thinking about yeah, your very, very long career, which is still going, thankfully. Are there, and like all of us, there's up moments, down moments, good shows, bad shows. You've won lots and lots of awards. You've done so much. Is there one thing that you are especially proud of? 
Uh, like I haven't, I haven't won lots of awards, and we share one. You know, we are you, you, me, and Renee. We were the inaugural um, recipients of that Australian Women in Music Awards. Well, that's um, lots of awards. <laughs> um, but and I'm not really into awards. I mean, not anything that involves the competition or anything like that. Um, oh no, no the the. Main thing is, you know, how amazing to be able to sustain a career um, sufficient to, you know, pay one's rent um, throughout, you know, five and a half, getting up to six decades, and in in not in pop music, you know, I mean, outside the mainstream, basically on the fringes. In fact, I call one of my albums "Fringe Benefits." People don't understand why I name these things, but it's the benefits of being on the fringe, you know. <laughs> So, uh, well, what uh, a career it's, it's been, fringe or not, and you remain a much-loved, much-respected performer and uh, we think you're the best. We think you're lovely. Thank you very, yeah. very much. On behalf yeah. of Lux, Lux, Lux. Yeah, Mark, great to uh, hear you, yeah. as always. Well, we'd love to see if you ever get to Melbourne and thanks very much. I've enjoyed it. Cheers. Good on you. Take and care. we'll speak soon, Margaret. Much, Bye. many thanks and much love to you. Bye-bye. you Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye.